Anthony Watts from the Heartland Institute, Chicago, Illinois. I'm Senior Fellow for Environment and Climate. Appreciate you joining the program here today. We're talking a little bit about how the rise of environmentalism, something we've been tracking on this program for about five years now, seems to be impacting the energy industry more and more uh, aggressively, it would be the word that I would say in its truest Webster's Dictionary sense in terms of uh, impacting the industry. But uh, we'll see what uh, Mr. Watt has to say about that. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. Uh, sitting in Northern California where we're about to experience a big cold snap and sub-freezing temperatures. Thank goodness for fossil fuels. What's going on out in, by, by the way, uh, Harlan Institute, go ahead and give your organization a little plug if you wouldn't mind. Uh, appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your mind with us. So the least we can do is give you guys a, a plug for what you guys are doing out there. We're a think tank that uh, looks into issues related to energy uh, as well as climate. And uh, we are the leading organization for climate skeptics around the world. We put on uh, conferences on climate. Uh, typically every one to two years, and we write a number of specialized papers uh, to help legislators understand the issues of climate and the issues of energy. Before we get into how the uh, rise of environmentalism has impacted the energy industry, you're out in Northern California. Of course, we've got a lot of California blackouts. Um, has that impacted you out there? Are you following that? Yes, it has impacted both my home and my business, uh, as well as my um uh, cohorts in the area and friends, and a number of people are quite concerned about the future here of California. Um, it seems like it's uh, a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. The state is talking about taking over PG&E, and of course if that happens, it will probably get even worse because, as you know, government doesn't particularly do anything well. Uh, and then uh, there's concerns over uh, energy rationing, um, and blackouts for environmental issues, and all sorts of things. The future of energy in California, at least northern California right now, where uh, Pacific Gas and Electric serves, is, is quite uncertain, and a number of people are quite concerned about it. A number of people are actually just picking up stakes and leaving. Um, companies are leaving. For example, the Bay Area is uh, having companies that are unsure about the energy stability. They're worried about uh, you know their server platforms and so forth. Uh, they're packing up and moving because they can't go forward with their business due to the instability of the energy situation. How about those small businesses? And by the way, this is pop quiz for you here. You might may or may not be qualified to answer these, but if you're in it, you, 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 my guess is you are because uh, you have a, a, a eyeballs and observations. Like small business owners, the guys working at coffee shops, um, you know, that need the Wi-Fi and their Wi-Fi at home. And, you know, we live in such a mobile society. Um, is, have you heard those types of, uh, that type of the industry where, where they rely on, you know, Wi-Fi and public spaces and, and everything like that? Are, are they able to sustain themselves in this type of uh, blackouts? Well, interestingly enough, uh, some businesses have opted to put in their own generation systems. For example, about three weeks ago, I was in Red Bluff, California, and um, the entire town was blacked out, except for this one gasoline station uh, at the intersection of Antelope Boulevard and the Interstate 5. And they had installed a natural gas-powered automatic generation system, and it was the only gas station open in town, and there was lines backed up for a half a mile to get into this gas station. 
but uh, some people are, are basically turning to generation to keep their businesses open, and, and rightly so. But interestingly enough, um, you know, while Pacific Gas and Electric was and chasing environmental holy grails, such as putting in wind power and solar power and so forth, uh, to um, meet the mandates of AB 32 from 2006, when uh, California said we must uh, go to renewable energy, uh, you know, to, to stave off the nasty generation of carbon dioxide. Now we've got all these uh, generators all over the place that are polluting more uh, and, and more frequently during these blackouts. So it, it's kind of a catch-22 situation. Some businesses are just simply closing shop and they're losing money. Others are, are taking it uh, directly head-on and putting in generation systems. So it's kind of an interesting mix. It's a good transition into the theme of the conversation, which is the, the rise of environmentalism, which has brought peer pressure to, you know, social engineering, if you will, uh, which is, you know, we're talking broad sweeping changes of, of lifestyle and technology, um, which are, are very few and far between in recorded history in the United States, what's what's being proposed. Uh Talk to me a little bit about your perspective of how the rise of environmentalism has has created a peer pressure uh, type environment out there. Well, it's become um, kind of a, um, uh, I guess the way to describe it is, is that you're unclean if you're not doing something to save the environment in California. That's how uh, some people look at it, although Northern California is much more conservative, especially in the interior, while the coast is much more liberal. But there's this pressure constantly uh, that uh, we've got people like uh, Bill McKibben with his 350.org organization has people going to city councils and asking them to declare climate emergencies. For example, in my town of Chico, California, the 350.org people were able to convince the majority of city councilors that they needed to declare a climate emergency. Uh, you know, because the world's going to end in 12 years, according to AOC and other brilliant scholars. So anyway, um, they declared this climate emergency, but the fact of the matter is that it was nothing more than a feel-good exercise. They're actually doing nothing to to meet that issue. They're not acting as if there's an emergency. So there's lots of this uh, shaming going on and peer pressure to try to get people to think differently. Uh, the fact of the matter is, though, is that most people, at least in Northern California's interior, aren't buying it. You know, they tolerate these these kinds of things, but they don't change their lifestyle associated with it. And that's why the state tries to force things onto people, because they know a lot of people will not change their lifestyle, will not stop driving, will not stop using electricity, uh, you know, and other things that make life today you know, worth living and, 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 and livable. Um, they're just not going to do that. And that's the problem. The, the environmentalists are trying to sell a much more uh, crude lifestyle, a less energy-intensive lifestyle, and Americans just aren't having it, at least out here in Northern California. Why do you think the rush is on, the green rush, if you will, just a, you know, a, a ramrod or a... To me, that's why I say aggressive. It's very aggressive to make these changes in, in you know, 10 years. For example, I've heard multiple people that have very good credentials tell me that, you know, if we don't figure out a new way to make planes fly in 10 years, uh, no planes will fly. And to me, that that's borderline insane. 
um, kind of ludicrous with, with today's world. Um, talk to me about that as far as the timeline, because it d- does seem that the, uh, you know, the chicken littles, the, 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 the Y2Kers of the world are really winning the narrative out there. Well, they might be winning the narrative, but the reality is there's technology and physics that meet the narrative and can't. The kinds of things that they're suggesting be done, you know, like electric airplanes, for example, are just not feasible. If they were feasible, they would have been done 50 years ago or more. We've taken 100 years to get to where we are in the way that we use energy and the efficiency and so forth. And some of these people think that we have to transform our economy in 10 years. They're living in a pie-in-the-sky sort of of an idea, mainly because they're not well-educated. To be frank, a lot of these people that believe that the world is going to end in 12 years, like AOC, are just plain stupid. They do not have any kind of an understanding of how the world works, how energy works, how energy distribution works, the physics of moving things and how much energy it takes. Uh, People have this belief that that uh, on, on the environmental side, that, you know, solar power and wind power is going to do it. It's going to save everything. Well, it can't, because power doesn't get generated when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine. You still need backup power systems. You still need to have coal plants and natural gas and oil-fired plants running at nighttime or when the wind's not blowing. To get to this 100% renewable holy grail is just physically impossible. To quote Star Trek, Scotty, you cannot change the laws of physics, and it's not going to happen here. You know, about five years ago, I started, well, f- first of all, my background comes from the Bakken, so I, I kind of had had that with North Dakota, and, and we had a uh, public smoking ban on the state referendum, and I want to say 2012, and that was a big issue. It had to do with a lot of, you know, personal rights versus this and that, but of course, in the end, the narrative of public health and a kind of a dirty and a shame type of a thing won out. And and whether you're for smoking or against smoking, it doesn't really matter. That's that's how it, it, it played out. I see the same template happening, in my opinion. It's very much like how states used a smoking ban and used kind of a, a the, the way that they change the narrative of the cigarette industry to be more of a dirty and unhealthy and you know, using children and, and, and dirtiness and health concerns, that sort of thing. Um, I'd like to know your opinion on, on my observations of how they've kind of, the narrative against fossil fuels has changed to where it almost seems like it's in the same, same you know, level as, as cigarettes are. Actually, I, I don't hear any presidential candidates trying to ban cigarettes, but I hear half a dozen of them trying to ban fossil fuels. Well, you're right when there's a comparison to the smoking uh, issue. And the reason there is is because they were successful in the 90s at getting, you know, smoking exposed for the health issue that it really was. And they exposed the fact that cigarette companies did, in fact, enhance nicotine to increase addiction and things like this. And they suppressed the issues related to health and their own studies internally as well as what went out to the public. And so, you know, smoking got caught, and it was dirty, and there's no two ways about it. My, my parents died of smoking-related illnesses, so I understand this. So, yes, they're trying to use that same template on climate and energy and so forth. And the reason behind that is is that when they finally exposed the smoking industry in the 90s, there was a humongous settlement, 
huge amounts of money. And the same thing is, has been tried here in a trial that's been going on in New York City recently with ExxonMobil. There's this Exxon New thing that brought up by Bill McKibben and the McKibbenites uh, on 350.org that you know Exxon knew how dangerous it was to you know use oil and gas back in the 60s, and here's the documents that proved it because Exxon had done some internal studies. Well, the fact of the matter is that Exxon was just simply distributing the known scientific analysis that was available at the time and you know they didn't try to hide anything but the fact of the matter is that the the climate uh, alarm industry is going after ExxonMobil and other companies trying to make it such that there's harm a harm type of a finding and they haven't been able to tie it they have not been able to show that the use of fossil fuels is actually causing harm because there's lots of benefits to fossil fuels that offsets any potential harm, and they've not been able to prove it in court so far. And as a matter of fact, the court case last week, uh, if you follow a website called Climate Litigation Watch, uh, Climate Litigation Watch uh, it has been run by Chris Horner, an attorney who's been chasing these issues, you can see that the, the, the judge is not having it. He's throwing a lot of these arguments out because they don't have any merit. And so they're down to basically one argument, and it's become a big accounting issue trying to account for the fact that fossil fuels could cause harm, and they're not being able to prove it so far. So the bottom line is, is they're chasing money, just like any other rent-seeker organization out there. Harland, talk to me about what you guys have going on right now. Um, you guys got a um, podcast, don't you? Yes, we run a podcast, the Heartland Daily Podcast. Um, we talk to uh, people all over the world, scientists, uh, attorneys, industrialists, uh, politicians, um, people that run NGOs and so forth. We do this every day. And so the Heartland Daily Podcast is available at heartland.org. And I advise people to tune it in if they've got an opportunity. We have a few of your guests on in the past, so I appreciate you you coming on here. But when it when it comes to the environment and energy, what what's kind of a final thought that that you'd like people to walk away from this interview knowing? Well, having a cleaner environment is always a good thing, and certainly we've made tremendous environmental gains in the United States and in the world since the environmental movement started in the early 1970s. We have cleaner air. Los Angeles is a perfect example. These are good things. But what's happened is that once those problems had been solved, the environmental industry didn't have anything else to solve. And so they decided that climate was going to be the next big thing. The bottom line is, though, is that climate is not something that can be easily solved by humans. There's lots of other factors and forcings and so forth that make up what our climate is. And our contribution to it, while there is some, is very minuscule compared to some of the other forces that are driving the climate of the planet. And so these environmentalists, for the want of having something to do to make themselves feel good, are chasing a pie-in-the-sky dream that's not going to pay off.